The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Hey, welcome to the show, The Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Halby. Hey, thanks for being with me this morning. Let me start off with the phone number, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. Hey, I'd love to hear from you this week if you have any questions, uh, have any concerns, or just want to yeah, spend a few minutes and kind of say, hey, Arif, here is my situation. Is there something you can help me with? I'm Arif Halaby, 888 retire That's our phone number, the total financial hour on AM870, The Answer. Okay, wanted to get on a couple of things here for you. Number one, if you remember uh, some time ago, maybe two, three weeks ago, we had the show on symbolism over substance. I can't tell you how many of you have reached out to us. Dozens of you have reached out and said, hey, Arif, that's a great show. I'd like to hear more of it. Can you back up some of the things that you shared uh, because it's look, my approach is very common sense. I think the left has spent so much time taking your money and using big words and justifying that they're intelligent. They're educated. They went to the Ivy League schools and you didn't. So you just go back to work, mind your pretty little head and send us the check. Payable to three letters, by the way, IRS <laughs> in the state of California. They're not any nicer. Right. The, the state of California, you understand that. Uh, what is it? Maybe 50, 60, 100 square miles of California controls the country. Nancy Pelosi's from there. Her nephew is Gavin Newsom. He used to be the governor of San Francisco. I'm sorry, the mayor of San Francisco. Now, the, then, then the lieutenant governor and then the governor of California. You have Eric Holder, who came from Washington, D.C., who was hired by the state of California. Believe it or not, guys, he has been paid millions of dollars. Guess where that money comes from? You, the taxpayer. So instead of building bridges and roads and reinforcing dams, they bring in Eric Holder to sue the federal government. Isn't that exciting? Like they have nothing better to do. They're all caught up into this little thing with Nancy Pelosi, Eric Holder, and they, uh, one of the top senators on all of the top secret uh, uh, Senate committees, Diane Feinstein. Guess where she's from? San Francisco. You have to realize this for a second. She's the same one that had for two decades. And for those of you with your shoes on, that's 20 years. 20 years. She had a spy, a Chinese spy working for her in the closest confidant, in the car with her when she was in private conversations. A Chinese spy who was able to do all sorts of things, plant devices, a Chinese spy who was able to make copies of documents for 20 years was Diane Feinstein's assistant and driver and confidant in many cases because he was one of the largest or the longest serving staff. So he had to know, of course, where the bodies were buried. He had to know the places she was vulnerable. Isn't it interesting that she was or is also from, believe it or not, San Francisco. So in the entire country, some of the largest and most powerful institutions are controlled by just a handful of people 
when we talk about symbolism over substance, that's to keep you. It's to keep the masses quiet. It's to keep you guys from announcing your displeasure and instead think you did something, check a box, go back to work Monday morning. Look, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to get into this in a little bit more detail because I want you to understand some of the behind the scenes uh, thoughts on this. Okay, in a protection towards trees, which, by the way, are a renewable resource. Statistically speaking, there are more trees today planted in the United States than what was called the United States or what was not called the United States, but it is today when Christopher Columbus came to the New World. There are more trees here. So if you think it's about trees, oh, but Arif, have you seen, haven't you seen pictures where they are mowing down mountainsides? Yes, but why don't you show the other side where they've planted twice as many trees? In many cases, they plant three trees for every one they take down. You, you understand they're in business. And if they're in the logging business, they need trees to log. So, of course, they are going to ensure, and it's, it's selfish for them. Okay, I'm all right with that. I don't care what their motives are. That's between them and God. Plant a tree, I'm happy. Oh, but if they're big trees, old growth trees. Let's get back to practicality for a minute. Does an old growth tree produce more oxygen or less? Well, Arif, now you're t- now this is a national park. It's a national treasure. I get it. We should not cut them all down. Follow me? I, I do not agree with that. But don't, metaphorically speaking, lose the forest for the trees here. Because that was the whole idea behind getting rid of, of paper towels. And they don't even use trees, fresh cut trees, in paper towels. That's why you have hand dryers in bathrooms blowing air that has freshly germs, <laughs> minted germs <laughs> sucked up from the same air where you run in and run out because the bathroom smells so horribly. Forgive me if you're eating breakfast or lunch. But you see, their symbolism was to save a tree. And instead, they take germ-filled air and spread it amongst your freshly cleaned hands. In fact, ask people with this new virus running around and then the flu and everything else. Many, many lay- layers of cleanliness happen when you physically use the abrasive material of paper towels to wipe your hands, right? So whatever the soap and water didn't get off, the paper towels actually do, at least to a much larger degree, except they say, oh, you don't understand. There are filters. There are filters in these hair dry, uh, hand dryers. Okay. If you are going to tell me that the same 17-year-old who can't change the trash can or pick up the table three tables away from me that's had food on it for the last 25 minutes. You're going to trust that same 17-year-old to change a bathroom filter? Excuse me. Maybe it says that on Chapter 7 of the handbook. But they're not going to do it. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Just trust your gut instinct. Let's get back to common sense. Remember, symbolism, symbolism over substance. It's difficult to even say because it's such a phony process. Look, the other part of this is important. There are jobs lost. The trees and the wood that would be used are waste product. That's how they make the paper towels. It's the sawdust. It's the remnants. It's the remains. And now if those trees are not used, they will not be planted. If they cannot be planted, they can't add oxygen and remove carbon dioxide from the air. Because they are no longer needed to be planted. 
So however long, the three years, five years, 20 years of its lifetime as a tree, the amount of oxygen that that would replenish. I mean, do you get this? But they feel good. Oh, look at we have hair dry, hand dryers. We have hand dryers in all of these bathrooms so that you can have freshly washed hands have bathroom air blown on them. Listen, to me, it's just a gross conversation, but I think you guys have to put your foot down. Look, we talked something uh, about something else, and actually I was impacted by it uh, this past week, so it's kind of important. The straw, (laughs) the controversy. Besides being a pain in the tush, right? If you've ever tried to drink from a paper straw, how long do you think that lasts? I don't know. I think it lasted me maybe eight or nine minutes. We tested it. At the end of my drink, I needed three of them. So I asked the food server, because I was contemplating talking about this today. I asked the food server, I said, hey, how many straws does the average person use? She says, we have to put down anywhere between two and four straws where we used to only put down one. Now, remember, back to common sense. Let's think about this for a minute. So I started asking every place that we went out. We were out of town for a bit, so we went to to restaurants throughout the day, little cafes, and I asked to a person. They all said that everybody's requiring two to four. They said the average was actually three. Some said as little as two and some four. Because why? Listen, they need one because they know that they're going to break down. And what if they're not in front of a straw person? They just leave an extra one here on the table. This is a big deal because you're going to say that, oh, well, look at we saved, you know, a turtle or something. You have to think about this. That's why they told you recycling was important. That's why an entire industry was created. Except the volume that it takes to transport a paper straw. Go back to logic. Follow me. What it takes to transport a paper straw is the same volume as a plastic straw, right? A package of straws is a package of straws. It isn't as if you can squish it down and get more in. So if you're telling me, let's say the average is three times the amount of straws, how much fossil fuel has to be used to drive that truck three times? How many wages have to be paid for the same paper straw has to support three different people, right? In other words, three truck drivers, three unloading Three opportunities for manufacturing. And by the way, these things are manufactured not by air or solar energy, but they use fossil fuel. So the manufacturing of these paper straws, the transportation of the raw materials, all of that puts three times the amount of trucks on the road, which fills up potholes three times faster we need to fill them. Because these are not small trucks. I mean, can you understand this for a second? And you might say, well, Eric, what does that have to do with retirement? I promise you, you will pay more in retirement, in taxes, as a percentage of your income, if you are in your 50s or 60s. It's just a, it's a promise I'm going to make. I can't really be held to account, right? Because I'm not going to be around probably for the rest of your retirement life. But it's a guess. Educated, let's call it. 24 years of practice, eh, I could come close. Why would you say that, Eric? Well, easy. Because you are the ones with money. We already feel sorry for kids with student loan debt. We already feel sorry for the millennials because they were talked to three times or they looked at funny by their mom when she was, you know, trying to discipline them. And so we're not asking a whole lot of that sensitive, safe space, quiet room 
generation. But you, as seniors, by definition, if you can afford to retire, hey, it means you have money. They will find a way to take it from you. They're already pushing this proposition, split roll tax, Proposition 13. The only strength for the left is to split you between the haves and the have-nots. And ready for this? Here's their trick. What they're going to do is they're going to talk about rich people. And every single one of you think it's somebody else. I've never had somebody come to my office and say I was a rich guy. Hey, I'm rich. Arif, help me. Never. Here's what they say. I'm middle class. I'm upper middle class. I'm lower middle class. So everybody thinks they're middle class. A gentleman who had $10 million thinks he's middle class. Husband, wife, couple who has $50,000 saved, middle class. They all think they're somewhere in that middle class range. So when the left comes to you and says, we want to tax the rich, everybody goes, yeah, great idea. Oh, yeah. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, you go get them. And you sit back and you drink your $4 latte. And you look around and you say, wait a second, why are those people lining up to come and get me? Hey, 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 put that, put that pitchfork down. I, I, I'm a good guy. Remember, I'm middle class. Because you've never asked them to put numbers to what they think. So you will be the one to pay the taxes. I don't know how they're going to do it. Income tax, sales tax, uh, special uh Property tax, right? If, you're, if your property is worth more than $750,000, we are going to add a special assessment tax. They already do it to automobiles. The luxury. <sighs> the luxury tax. Because you have a nice boat, right? A yacht. Which if you ask somebody who's, who drives, who, who has a boat that qualifies for, quote, the luxury tax, you say, hey, is this a yacht? They will laugh at you. They will laugh you right off the dock and say, no, it's a fishing boat, buddy. But in the state of California, it's called a luxury, luxury tax. If you have a nice car, you can't buy one of the top five or six or eight brand, you know, brand cars, the, the, the top German or, or even American cars and not, quote, pay a luxury. You can't buy a pickup truck. I bought a pickup truck the other day and they said, oh, that you have to pay the luxury tax. Go, Excuse me. It's a pickup truck. Oh, well, because you have the extra this and the extra that. Oh, oh gosh. It's just a pickup. So the reason I share this with you is because that is how they will get you. They're going to get you in certain uh, uh, usage of electricity. Right? They already said, oh, the average person, the poor person should be using this much electricity. But if you use this much, now you're the rich. So the only strength for the left is class warfare. That's the only place they can get any value. Here's another one. Oh, oh, let me back up. When we talked about this Proposition 65, that drove you guys nuts. I love it. Because Proposition 65 costs businesses millions of dollars to implement. What was it for? And what are the next propositions for? They're for the trial, trial lawyers. The trial lawyers and the fines that are received by the state and city and county And most of these laws are not designed to protect the public, just so you know. But it's to catch normal, everyday, regular, law-abiding Americans in a series of unclear and obtuse rules. And it results, look, in fines and revenue for the ever-increasing bureaucracy we call the city and the state. Proposition 65 puts signs everywhere. And when they are everywhere, they mean nothing. 
right? Banning plastic bags and plastic straws. Same story. I went to one of the grocery chains and I said, hey, I'd like to buy 100,000 bags. I will pay to have them made. I will put your logo on it and I will put my logo. I will sponsor it. It will be part of my marketing and my advertising. And I will even pay the fine, the 10 cent fine to the state of California so people could have the bags for free. Right. When we did the math, it worked out. It was one of our marketing expenses. We'd have to spend money. It'd be a budget thing. We'd spread it out over a year, but we could do it. And they said, Eric, that's illegal. I said, what? They said, you're not allowed to. I said, no, no, no. Maybe I didn't make it clear. I'm going to pay for it. So nobody's going to be cheated. The state of California will receive $10,000 in fines over the next however many months. The, the bags will be paid for, so you will not even have to pay to have the bags sitting on your shelf. I will pay for them. And the customers get to use them. And believe it or not, because customers use those bags over and over and over to pick up doggy poo, to, to put it in your trash bag, in your bathroom or in your, your bedroom, put them, right, little, those little trash cans. We use them to store things, to put wet clothes in when you're bike riding or when you're, you're working out at the gym, whatever. We use it to, for second and third and fourth resources before they ever end up in the trash. So now we have to use other plastic bags that only get one use. So I said, I'm willing to do that. Nope, you can't. Does that not sound totalitarian to you? I don't know. Look, I'll put it, Trader Joe's, I'll do it for you. Kroger, Whole Foods, I don't care. Vaughn's grocery store, if you're still around, Aldi, it doesn't matter to me. Safeway, 888-99-RETIRED, that's my phone number. Right, I think that's a great idea. I think now the state can get its money. We can assist people. Now, not everybody's going to take them, of course. Because what happens? Well, they're going to say, no, I have my canvas bag with, you know, my, my favorite total financial insurance company on it. Okay, take that too then. So you start seeing this over and over again. Here's another symbolism over substance. And we're going to only cover this for the first 30 minutes and I have other things to go over with you. But I want to do this with you here. When you require companies to hire people based on gender and race. This is pretty scary. Because both things cannot be controlled by the individual. Right? I mean, I can't control that. I don't know. I couldn't decide who my mom and dad were. God did that. But by everybody being put in these categories, all of a sudden you start pitting people against each other. Because instead of saying, well, this person is better than me in this skill set, and that's why they got the job, I am going to go back to school. I'm going to pick up another job. I'm going to learn on the weekends. I'm going to make be better in that area so that I can compete with that person the next time that job opening comes along. But instead, it's something that I can't control. I can't control being better at being a a male and turning into a female. I can't control changing my race or my ethnicity. I can't do any of that. So you immediately start the, the, the game off and you're saying, well, that's an area I could never be. Those people play with three arms. I play with one. Those people, right, these are things that we just can't control. Those people are six foot two. Try to have me, try, try to ask me to be better at being tall, right? I'm five foot eight on a good day. So at five foot eight, let me think about this. I can't practice at being taller to compete for the Clippers or the Lakers. It's just not going to happen. Well, that's the same thing you do, except in business where people have a mind that can improve, physical abilities that can be better. 
So these are important parts to the conversation so that you don't end up looking back at these people that are just like, you know, your your electoral options in the state of California, if you're a Democrat this time, decisions are being made by smaller states all across the country, right? Our, our system in the state is ridiculous. I don't know the answer. I just think, why can't everybody just go along and say, hey, on uh, this day in March is our national primary. Now, I get it. It's going to take a lot of money to compete. Well, imagine that. Now they have to be creative and actually have to be good at something instead of good at advertising. Like actually have a good message instead of a good marketing team. So you guys are going to pay the price. If you're going to stay in the state of California, I want to encourage you to consider Roth IRAs, R-O-T-H, Roth conversions, which is where you take an IRA or 401k and you convert it. So check with your tax preparer. Now that the season is here, check with your tax preparer and say, do I have any losses on my taxes where I can absorb that by moving over my uh, traditional IRA 401k and moving it into a Roth? Maybe the answer is no, right? It's a place to start. But have that conversation. Now, also, look, respect your, your CPA's time because this is a very busy time for them. We try to talk about this in the fall when they're generally at a downtime between, let's say, November and January 31st, where you can sit down, have a conversation with them and not be pressured because they don't have to worry, right? That They have to do certain things at certain times or they're going to be out of, out of sorts because it is the tax season. So we'll see. A lot of people are no longer having to complete the crazy uh, you know, multi-page tax uh, forms. So that's helpful. That's a big deal for a lot of people. Simple, one page, you're done. And I know some of my CPA friends might think that it means no business to be had. But I think if they get into a little bit more of the planning side of things, they will more than make up the business and the value to the customers. And part of that is, look, hey, listen, you have a loss on your tax return. We can offset it by this gain. So therefore, in California, it will never be taxed again. Maybe not a bad idea considering we're heading down a dirt road that is has a, has a dead-end sign on it, but we're still driving full speed ahead. In fact, you might have heard me say this for the last, oh, quite a bit. I don't know. I've done 15, 15, 16 years of radio, something like that. In these past period of time, you might have heard me say this, that California has a day of reckoning that's coming. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like. I can just tell you that we do not have the money to satisfy the pensions obligations for the cities, county, states. We do not have the money to satisfy the pension obligations for our educators. We just don't. It's not even a, it's not a political thing. So I think they're going to have to go back to you as the taxpayer. Now, the challenge is this. When educators, husband and wife, let's say, two of them, and then they retire outside of the state of California, so that means they are not paying any California income tax on the money that they were taxed in order to receive. They were not, they're not going to be paying any sales tax when they go to the grocery store or the, or the gas station. They're not going to be paying gas tax. So how is it that they are still going to, with a good conscience, tax the people that are left behind in the state as the educators have left? Now, I'm not saying any judgment on this is a good or a bad thing. I'm telling you that you need to have a plan B if you plan on staying in this state. We don't have 2019's numbers yet, but 2018, we lost 
502 people per day left the state of California. So I don't know what that means going forward, except this. They're not poor people that left. They're middle class. And upper middle class and rich because they can afford to. And so a lot of you have to consider that your income is going to have to do more things in retirement than it does today. And if not, well, then you're considered one of the poor and, and, or lower income, or, and you're just going to get free stuff. So, so it's not a bad thing if you're one of those. All right, we're going to come back. I'm going to get into retiring, some of the things you need to know if you're going to retire outside of the United States of America. Big deal. If you're going to retire outside the United States, what do we do? Well, stay with me. I'm Eric Pallaby, the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hey, welcome back to the show, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. Hey, thanks for being with me. Uh, we've talked about your financial life, uh, a little bit on some of the symbolism over substance. I know a lot of you were concerned about that, and so we wanted to touch base on on some real-life examples uh, that are quantifiable, right? When you do research, next time you go out to eat, ask them about the amount of straws. Ask the food server, do people like these paper straws? And they'll say no. Uh, you never know anybody that says yes. <laughs> and by the way, can you tell me what it is that people... Uh, how how many they actually use? Because what do they not like about it? Well, they don't like that it um, you know that it, it, it falls apart. And by the way, mine tasted like paper the other day, so I couldn't believe that. I thought, are you kidding me? Isn't there something they can do? Put some sort of asbestos around? Just kidding, just to coat it. No, that's not what you do. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, retiring abroad. A lot of you are thinking, how do I retire outside of the United States? There's very large expat, ex-pat uh, really means former United States or really former uh, Canadian, Australian, Great Britain. A lot of middle class, lower middle class, upper middle class folks retire outside of their home country of those, especially of those that I mentioned, those top four, which is the U.S., Canada, Great Britain, and Australia. And they are located in a few different countries. I want to touch on that because I think some of them might surprise you. Now, most of you know of Mexico, right? It's always been a favorite of the United States to retire there. It's always wonderful people, very uh, kind, believe it or not, wherever you might go. I've never had a bad experience at a restaurant, whether it be in a tourist area or even, you know, slightly outside. They're always very kind people. Uh, They have a corrupt government, City, state, county in many cases. And, and, of course, the federal government is very corrupt. So what do you get? Well, you get, you know, you're trying to import something or you're trying to have a, a container of your furniture brought down from the U.S. and you're going to have to pay people all the way along just to get it out of Hawk, right? And sometimes by the time you open it, some things are missing. That's what my clients tell me. They say sometimes things are missing. They have to carry their valuable stuff with them. The other things, they either have to weigh the, the bribe slash uh, extra fees at the border to get it over. Well, I'll just buy it in Mexico. Or if it's something they really want, they have to weigh the cost and say, you know, I'm just going to take it over by driving over the border. 
uh, you know, six times instead of one big truck hauling it down. So sometimes you have to do that. All right. And they weigh the cost and it's worth it for them because husband and wife on $3,000 a month is what I'm going to talk about. You can live amazingly well, amazingly well in a lot of expat American communities. In fact, I went to visit somebody in one of those in Mexico and I tried to practice my Spanish and the people there spoke better English than some of the food servers at places that I've eaten at in Los Angeles. And I couldn't believe it. And they were, you know, so basically we just started speaking English and they love Americans and love the English language. And the crazy thing to me is all of them are wearing braces. My wife actually noticed it. She's like, everybody wears braces. Everybody's very concerned about how they look and their smiles are amazing. Okay, so this is important. You understand the distinction between retiring, you know, in a, in a gang infested area in what features on the evening news. That's not what we're talking about. The challenges that you're going to encounter in Mexico or any place that I talk about, but I want to specifically start with there, is make sure the property that you buy is really someone's to sell. Because in many cases, people will sell property that is not theirs to sell. They take your money and now you've given them money and the real owner shows up and says, hey, what are you doing living in my house? Or they built 75 houses on my land and I didn't even know about it. What are you guys doing? That's not right. So a lot of this change can affect you and me. And a lot of these changes can really make a difference in what you're trying to achieve because all of a sudden you spent 150 or 250,000 on a house you're going to have to spend more money on. All right, so that's a problem. The other part that I want you to think about as you're going through this process is how do you as a person get along well with others from other countries, especially foreigners, right? Are you open to different languages? Are you open to different cultures? The food may not be the same taste. The flavors may be different. The service might be a little slower. Okay, this is important because remember, you are living in their country. And you have to be clear on this because I don't want you to be somebody who is a bad ambassador to the United, for, from the United States. Right, because when I travel wherever I go around the world, I I understand that it's not just Arif and my wife going around the world; it's Arif, the American, traveling around the world. So if I'm a jerk or if I'm impatient or whatever happens at a at whatever establishment, that's the way Americans are. So, right or wrong, that's how it's judged. So be kind, be patient, be understanding. You're retired. Be grateful that you have that as, a, as an opportunity, another phase in life. Okay, gratitude is everything. And I think it will calm you down a little bit when you retire, especially if you're going to a beautiful place like in Mexico. Okay, so we see a lot of Mexican towns and villages, mostly in the inland, not very much on the shore because there's a, there was a rule where you couldn't buy along the sea or along the borders of Mexico uh, within a certain amount of kilometers uh, if you were a foreigner, you could only buy in a fee simple, just like you bought in the United States, but on the inland and those people that live on the inside of the country, right? You're not going to have swimming in the ocean every 15 minutes, but what you are going to have is fresh seafood and food and, uh, and service and everything else is going to be great. Okay. So important. You know that, however, a lot of times 
when you retire in a foreign country, you're going to want a local bank. Please do not transfer all of your money to that local bank. Keep your money in the United States bank. I don't care which one you choose, as long as it's FDIC, as long as it's a solid bank, as long as it's a good group of, uh, you know, as a history, etc. But please, why do I say this? I can tell you a lot of times people are, have been scammed. I covered it uh, maybe a year ago where uh, millions of dollars were stolen uh, from a Mexican bank and people transferred their life savings down there. They sold their home. They, they took their retirement account, whatever they did, and they put that cash in a Mexican bank. Keep an, an account there, but transfer funds as needed. Right? Maybe you keep $5,000 or 10000 I don't know. You keep a number down there. The bulk of your money is safe in FDIC up in the United States. As you need it, you can wire transfer down there. No big deal. And if that goes away, at least it's not everything. Okay? Use your, use your Visa or MasterCard or American Express or Discover or Diners Club credit cards, not a debit card. Let me repeat that. Do not use a debit card. Use a credit card. The laws in the United States and the laws that Visa has internationally are set for credit, not for debit, which means they can, they can drain your entire bank account under a debit system that they cannot do under a credit card system. Okay? So your family needs to know that. You need to know that. Do not use, even when you're traveling, okay, just use the credit card. You can pay it back in 10 minutes when you get back. I don't care. Pay it back five times a month. It doesn't matter. But do not, at the same time, say, oh, I'm using because it has a Visa logo or a MasterCard logo. You don't use that as a debit card because what takes place is you've opened a portal to your, your uh, account, your savings account, to a stranger at a store, at a, at a bazaar, wherever you might be. So don't do that, okay? Important. Here's another place that I'm finding. So these rules apply. It doesn't matter where you go, not just Mexico. But my next place, very important, Quito, Ecuador. Now, do you know that Quito, Ecuador, Quito happens to be the capital, but Quito, Ecuador has one of the largest expat communities in the world of of Americans? That's pretty important. Why? Well, because they use the U.S. dollar. They don't even have a local currency. They use the American dollar, U.S. dollar. They, so everything is priced in U.S. dollars, so there's some commonality there. They also are very much geared towards decency. They are good people. Ecuadorians are amazing human beings. Very European, in fact. Now, there's the indigenous, the, the native population, the Indian, if you will, population. And those native uh, peoples are very welcoming. But back to my comments, treat them with respect, be decent, and remember you are representing the United States of America. You don't have to like it. You don't even have to agree to it. It doesn't matter. It's still the case. When you are there, you are representing the United States. All right? So, Quito, Ecuador. Explore that area. A lot of great communities. When I say expat communities, I mean 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 folks. They have uh, community centers and clubhouses and organizations and meetings and get-togethers uh, and Fourth of July celebrations and Super Bowl parties. And, I mean, all of those things that you would find in the United States, except in usually much better weather, certainly than 
you know, St. Paul, <laughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? It's a lot of different weather patterns where these people come from. Maybe not necessarily California. They wouldn't be leaving California for the weather, but you would probably leave California for the expenses. Okay, so Quito, Ecuador. Here's another place that I have found a lot of people really like, and it's Panama. The country of Panama is a very welcoming country. It's a Spanish-speaking country, of course. And believe it or not, Panama also uses the U.S. dollar. So they do not have their own currency. So you have to have this as a key because in the world of understanding uh, currencies, right, there are some things to you want to have fun, but you also don't want to be tricked with fractions and decimal points uh, because a lot of you may not have the sharpest math skills um, because American travelers are very key in what they do. Right? They like to have fun, and you like to be generous. Okay, so for a lot of you, believe it or not, Puerto Rico is a place. Now, I've been there, and I've spoken to many people that are, that are from there, including some former government workers. They said it's one of the more corrupt places you'll ever see. It would never fly in the United States of America. There would be multiple FBI raids every day. There'd be insurance commissioners in prison. Oh, wait. They already are. You know, many government officials throughout... That place uh, throughout uh, Puerto Rico are in jail. And you're going to see that time and again. All right. So so I don't know. I like it there. I think the people are incredible. The food is amazing, actually. Beautiful weather right on the you can you know, it's basically an island country where you can have multiple uh, pieces of property or rent homes right on the water. Another place that a lot of expats are going is Dominican Republic. The DR, or Dominican Republic, is not easy to get to for West Coast Americans. Now, if you're in Texas or any place on the East Coast, it's usually a hop, skip, and a jump. You're down there in three or four hours, bingo, done. If you're coming from the West Coast, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, it's difficult. It can take 10 or 12 hours between stops down in Panama or Miami. You have to stop in Charlotte, North Carolina. There's a... A straight flight to the Dominican Republic from Charlotte, North Carolina, but not from Los Angeles, California. At least nothing that I I know of. So, a little bit more difficult to get to if you're going to expect friends, family, if you need to come back from medical treatment. But why I like international living is because, believe it or not, the people there are appreciative of you being here. The people that come to the United States, some of them, not all, for sure, not all. But some of the loudest, most egregiously disrespectful to the United States that become congresswomen, that become leaders in this country, weren't even born here. And they disrespect the United States. So if you want your dollar to go further and you want to be appreciated and respected, again, it's a two-way street. You're going to have to give it in order to get it. The Dominican Republic is an amazing place to go. And remember, I told you the people, people are incredible. Incredible. We see a lot in the Bahamas, right? And you see a common denominator, relatively close to the United States. And the Bahamas also uses the U.S. dollar. Of course, Puerto Rico does too, by the way. But it's part of it's a commonwealth. But here's the other part that I think you need to know. For many of you, you want to travel and make a difference. You want to work 
vacation, be involved, be part of this retiring slash volunteerism. So being located in Zimbabwe, which also uses the U.S. dollar, by the way, and it's a relatively stable country, and Zimbabwe has a, a sense of volunteerism through churches and charities and local uh, businesses where you can easily get there and be a part of an organization or organizations that make a difference. And to go further in what you do, well, the dollar goes farther. goes very far. Somebody else that might use the, uh, if you like island living, look at Tur- Turks and Caicos. Even consider the British Virgin Islands uses the American dollars, along with the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, the problem is they drive on different sides of the road, so you have to know where you are. And those international, what is it, international house hunters, right? Vacation, uh, retiring abroad, those kind of play, those shows. Buy a house on the water for less than 350000 You have to search long and hard in some of these islands that I gave you, but not in Panama and not in the D- Dominican Republic. Right? My encouragement to you, if you're going to do something dramatic like that when you retire, first of all, consider your health. Right? Where? What kind of medicines? What kind of treatment? What's coming down the road for you? Where do you need to be? So don't sell your place in the United States just yet. Rent it out. Don't let your family live there. Here's my experience. If you let your family live in your rental house, they will never pay. You're going to have to pay for it. So here's what I want you to do. Rent out your home to somebody you're willing to kick out on Christmas Eve if they don't pay the rent. Not your grandchildren. Rent out your home to somebody you're willing to evict that says, hey, you haven't paid. And when you do that, when you kick them out, it's not a family member. But if I need to take care of my son, he has his wife or his girlfriend and she has two kids or whatever the story is, I get it. So you rent out the house, pay off the property taxes, the expenses, whatever that's your, your side of it. The difference each month, whether it's 200 or 2000 take that money and give that to your child or your grandchild. So this way you don't lose the asset because your kids aren't paying for it. You don't pull from your retirement savings to pay for a home that your grandchildren are not paying the mortgage on. Okay? Forget it. You have a stranger that's somebody that you, that you trust is going to pay the mortgage, of course. Take the profits from that, and that's what you give to your grandchild, your child, your, your son with the three kids out of wedlock. I don't care. Whatever you do. Give it to them. Then it's only the profits that you're losing because we've taken care of your retirement income from other sources. Okay? That's important. Where else are people retiring abroad? We're seeing a lot of it happening where people are retiring, believe it or not, in places that are relatively unknown for Americans. Where did two of my clients retire this uh, last two months ago? Portugal. And I was with a group recently. We were at a group conference. And somebody came up to me. We were talking about this. And he knows that I kind of have this as an avocation that I... I like to track where our clients are moving and why they're moving and what's going on with it. So right, you know, I kind of have a, an informal thing that I do. And he says, Eric, I got to tell you something. I have seen more people of my clients moving to Portugal than any other place. 
I said, oh, that's funny. I, I had the same thing happen. And so we started talking about what did they say? What are their reasons? What are my reasons for my clients? So as we see this, believe it or not, Portugal, you live like a king or a queen on 2500 3000 a month if you're going to rent. Now, if you're going to buy, you need 200000 400000 400000 you, you live like the president. Right? You live right on the water, whatever you want to do. It's a beautiful place, fine. But lifestyle, if you say, I'm just going to rent, and I encourage you to, to rent, because you don't know if it's a place you're going to stay. You don't know if they have the great medical care that eventually your ailments might need. So instead, what you're doing is saying, I'm going, I'm going to be in those places, and I'm going to rent. And by doing so, you have the opportunity to travel around and to say, you know what? I really like the south side of this place, or I like the east side of the country, or I like to be on the mountains instead of the coast. Because you didn't buy, you're not forced to pay the commissions to sell again. You're not forced to do all the things you have to do to unwind that transaction. You just say, okay, I'm not renewing my rent, and you pick up and you move. Now, you've heard me talk also about Costa Rica. It's kind of fallen out of favor just a little bit. Because some crime has started happening there. They were almost crime-free for, for all intents and purposes for a long, long time. But over the last, I'd say, five years, there's a tick up in crime just a little bit. And that little tick up in crime, you know, I'm not talking about property crime. But a little tick up of crime in some of the, uh, the violent stuff. But that's really still so minor compared to the United States. And that really makes a difference between, you know, thinking you're going to a place that is one way and really it's another. However, big asterisk, your family, it's very easy to get down to Costa Rica from here. Very easy. Quick and easy. Four hour, five hour flight. You're in country. They fly multiple times a day. You can take a red eye. You can take a morning. You can take a night. Very easy to do that. And when we are doing some research on what it costs to live there, certainly if you're still going to be right on the coast, you're going to pay for that. But if you're going to rent right on the water, you could do that very rel relatively inexpensive. Maybe 1000 a month and you're on the water. And another $1,000 a month pays for everything else. Food, entertainment, transportation. If you want a car, okay, they cost money there. You'll pay a little bit more for a car. A lot of these quasi-socialist type countries where they have health care for everybody and education for everybody and dental care for everybody, all of that, they are really against anybody poking their head up and looking like they're more successful than somebody else. So that's why I want you to keep it low when it comes to the type of car you buy. I prefer you rent a car, use public transportation, Eric, if I'm not going to live like a pauper, no problem. You buy a car. But you buy a five-year-old car. Okay? You don't, nobody cares about your fancy jewelry and your, your $25,000 watch when you go to the grocery store. Don't do that. Okay? These are folks that will never see that kind of money in their lifetime. And when you add up the cost of your shoes and your watches and your rings that you're wearing and your earrings, right? That's, that's to buy the entire village a new home wherever you go. So just have some respect like that. Okay, so you have to think a little bit differently than, than we might think about. 
And the bottom line with all of these places, how wonderful and beautiful they are. Remember healthcare. Check it out. Today there are uh, chat boards and uh, Facebook groups and uh, other organizations that you can get involved with where they have meetup organizations where expats, they tend to be, believe it or not, whether it's by design, on purpose, or on accident, they seem to attract people that really enjoy sharing about their experience. I don't know if those people end up going here, but once you get there, you're so excited you share. I don't know. But there's very much large open uh, openings of, of conversations you can start about. What does it take to live there? What would you have done differently? Why would I choose here over here? Why did you choose to live in the north instead of the south or the east instead of the west? What did you do? Why this town instead of that town? And people will talk. So the preparation for retirement should always start five years prior. That's why if you have retirement accounts now that are at or near all-time highs and you want to protect some or part of that principal because we don't know what's coming down the road, that's what we are all about. It's not buy low and sell at the top. It's buy low and sell high. If you have a high and you want to take and protect some or part of that, that's what Total Financial Solutions and TFS Financial Insurance Services are all about. 888-99-RETIRE. That's my phone number, guys. 888-997-3847. You can get a hold of me anytime. Thanks for being a part of the program. My name is Arif Hallaby. Listen, go to tfswealth.com. That stands for Total Financial Solutions. It's just the letters. T-F-S, as in Sam, tfswealth.com. Send me a message or give us a call. I'm Eric Halliday. Thanks for joining me every week at this time. It's my pleasure to be with you. Have a wonderful week. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab.